Would you pray with me? Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken this morning. And whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. It's good to be back. Been away for a week. Jennifer and I and our kids have been in Orlando this last week. Like many of you, we chose Mardi Gras as the perfect week to get out of town and uh, make up on a trip that had been delayed for two years. We were with grandparents, which made it doubly special. It was, by and large, a wonderful week, but it was also a reminder that at age six, even our youngest son, Ian, has outgrown one of our favorite parenting tricks. We first learned this trick 10 years ago when Elsa was two years old entering the terrific twos. That was when we learned never to ask a toddler if they are ready to leave grandparents. And we also learned never to tell a toddler that we were leaving grandparents. We learned that if we asked if they were ready to leave grandparents, they would just say no. But if we told them we were leaving, we were in for a fight. And so instead, we learned that the fastest, easiest way to get our kids into the car was to give them the illusion of choice. We would instead ask, would you like to walk to the car or be carried? Didn't matter. Presumably, it hasn't occurred to some of our kids until just this moment when I'm spilling the beans that we weren't actually giving them a real choice. Both of their options ended up with their end in the car. But it got us there faster and happier because they had the illusion of choice. When I give them the illusion of their own power, they're even more profoundly under my own. That trick doesn't really work anymore. And it's not just because our kids are harder to carry. Now they almost always realize that there are actually more than two options. I expect when you look back on your life, there are places when you look back on some of your own choices and you realize that when you made them, you weren't nearly as free as you thought you were at the time. This last Thursday night, somebody here this morning had trouble falling asleep because they were haunted by the consequences of something that was entirely beyond their control. Maybe it was an accident or an illness that came out of nowhere. Maybe it was a choice that a boss made or a family member made that put some massive burden on you and made you feel far less free than you did before. Someone else this morning had trouble falling asleep just last night because they kept feeling trapped by what they had chosen. And they said to themselves in the dark hours of the evening, if I had known then what I know now, I would have chosen something different. I would be someone different. I would have made a better choice. I just didn't know. I wasn't nearly as free as I thought I was. This last Wednesday marked the beginning of Lent, which you know is the season of six weeks of preparation that we spend focusing our minds and our hearts on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us when he went to the cross. And in my experience, Christians tend to make 
or feel trapped by a false choice whenever it is that we talk about the cross. The first mistake is, to, is that we turn to the cross and use it as a tool for spiritual abuse. We take the very real horror and agony of Christ's sacrifice and then we twist it into a way to guilt someone into compliance or compel them to the action we're hoping for. The second mistake is that we may diminish the cross so profoundly that it sounds like a minor inconvenience, a speed bump on the way to the empty tomb. And when that happens, the only way we can talk about resurrection and God's love is through language that sounds so much like the power of positive thinking that we never actually hear the call that Christ has given every single one of us to take up our cross and follow him. And this way of thinking, it's not entirely clear why Jesus had to die to save us. But there are more than two ways of understanding the cross. There are better ways, more biblical ways. And over the next several weeks, we want to consider five ways that attentive Christians have talked about the cross throughout the history of the church. The historic name for these explanations, these understandings, these ways of talking about the cross is to call them atonement theories. They are explanations of how Jesus made it possible for each and every one of us to be at one with God. But I want to be clear from the beginning that the goal for this series is not for you to uh, hear about each of these atonement theories and then pit them against one another or feel like you get to choose your favorite one. I cannot think of anything more useless than converting you to a theory. But each of these ways of understanding has a biblical foundation. And each one might give you a new way of understanding what Christ has done for you. And if any one of them helps you to know him more fully, then I believe that you will know the joy of Easter in a way that goes beyond anything you've ever known before. When you know all the reasons that Christ has died for you, you can experience the full power of Christ alive in you. And today, as we let Jesus teach us from the scriptures, we discover the one reason Jesus died was to pay our debts and set us free. When you read the early church fathers and mothers, when you read the letters that the leaders of the second, third, and fourth century church wrote to one another, this is the most common way that they describe what happened on the cross. They describe it as the moment that God and Jesus Christ purchased our freedom by offering the infinite value of his life and glory. And the word most often used for this understanding of this cross, this explanation of the cross, is the ransom theory. The ransom theory says that Jesus died to pay our debts and set us free. Tomorrow, if you are using our Lenten devotional, you'll read where Jesus uses that exact word, ransom, in Mark 10, 45, where Jesus says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the passage that we just heard from Jesus' own lips in John he does not use the word ransom, but he does give us a deeper idea of why it was that a ransom was such a powerful vision and image for the first Christians. 
This passage that we've just read from John comes from a lengthy section where Jesus has traveled to Jerusalem early on in his ministry. This is well before the trip to Jerusalem in which he was arrested and crucified. But in every time that Jesus steps into the city of Jerusalem, from the moment he first steps foot there, the religious authorities of the city have been divided in their opinions about him. On the one hand, the official word from the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of Jerusalem, is that Jesus should be treated with suspicion. Early on, they are not willing to give the definitive word, but they suspect that Jesus is a false teacher. But then in John chapter 3, a man named Nicodemus, a man who was on that ruling council, comes to Jesus under the cover of night, and he tells Jesus that Nicodemus and several other leaders secretly believe in Jesus. It's just too dangerous for them to say so publicly. Now in chapter 8, that we just heard, some of these religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, are beginning to believe in Jesus and to do so publicly. And our reading today begins with Jesus turning to those who are listening to him and who are starting to believe. And Jesus says, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And when we hear that, that sounds like good news. What could be better than freedom? What could be better than the truth? We could linger over that for all day, unpacking what it means that knowing the truth comes by following Jesus, not just by listening. But all that good stuff goes right over the head of the religious leaders who are attending to Jesus because all they can hear when Jesus says that I will set you free is they hear him saying they are not free already. All they can hear is that Jesus is calling them slaves. And they get their backs up at that. They challenge Jesus and they say, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? If you know the history of Israel, you know that there are at least two problems with the leaders of God's people saying Abraham's descendants have never been slaves of anyone. The first problem has to do with Israel's history. The events that the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are about The most formative event in the entire history of Israel were the 440 years that they were enslaved by Egypt and then wandering in the wilderness as God sought to rescue them from that slavery. And the second most important event in the Old Testament, the events that 17 of the books that we call the major prophets and the minor prophets are about, the second most important event is the exile of Israel in Babylon where they were taken in captivity by a foreign power. And so the very first problem is that the religious leaders come to Jesus and they have completely forgotten where they have come from. We've never been slaves of anyone. And the second problem is that they are in deep denial about where they are in the present. Because at this moment in time, Jerusalem, like every other region of the Mediterranean world, is under the rule of the Roman Empire. And the Sanhedrin is made of the Jewish leaders. But their election is supervised by Pontius Pilate, the governor from Rome. 
And it was Pilate who could and often did depose any one of them if they didn't do what he thought should be done. That was pretty much the standard practice for the Romans, to choose local leaders so that the colonies would believe they were free. Meanwhile, when the Romans spoke to each other, they said that only we, the Roman citizens, are truly free. It was around about this time that the great Roman politician Cicero said that every other people and nation is made for slavery and the evidence is that they have submitted to our rule. So when the Sanhedrin say, we are Abraham's descendants, we have never been slaves to anyone, they're hiding from their past and hiding from their present. And they're hiding from something else. They're hiding from their debt. See, in the Old Testament law codes, all Israelites are born as free people with an inheritance and a stake and a claim in their family's ancestral property. But a person could become a slavery or an indentured servant of another Israelite in only one way, and that was through debt. There were no bankruptcy laws in ancient Israel. And so if you fell into a debt beyond what you could repay, into a debt that was beyond the value of your family's ancestral land, the only way you could get out of it was to sell yourself in slavery to a neighbor as a way of paying off the debts you had accrued. And once you had done that, the only way to freedom was to have someone pay the ransom price that would redeem you and your inheritance. In theory... There was supposed to be a year of forgiveness every seven years. But in practice, we can't find any evidence the Israelites actually did that. The only way out of slavery was to have someone pay your debt. So when Jesus tells these leaders that he will set them free, one of the implications is that these leaders who serve on Rome's behalf have sold out the birthright of God's people. And when Jesus promises to set them free, instead of receiving this as good news, they protest. They insist they are already free. They've always been free. They insist they don't know anybody, anything. And even their mistakes are their own. But of course, it's precisely when we are most convinced that we are in control, that we are in the most danger. There's a wonderful saying that you'll hear in AA meetings. It's your own best thinking that got you here. And Jesus looks at the religious authorities and he makes it clear that their master is not Rome or Egypt or anyone else they might have in mind. No, Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So if you have ever felt as though you'll be forever paying down your old mistakes so that you never get around to building something new and good, if you've ever felt so trapped by your past decisions or if you've ever felt stuck and powerless because of decisions that someone else made on your behalf, then you know what the religious leaders were afraid to admit. You know what a demanding master sin is. 
If you've ever made a promise that you couldn't keep because you were trying to make up for a promise you already broke. If you ever bought something you couldn't afford to distract yourself from a wound you couldn't heal. If you ever felt like all your choices were bad and maybe you didn't have any real choice at all, then you know what it means to need a redeemer. And if you can bring yourself to admit the truth that you need a redeemer, that you'll never live long enough or be strong enough to pay the debts of gratitude you owe on the one hand or to make up for what you've done and left undone on the other hand. If you can admit that truth, then you will be set free by the good news waiting on the other side. If you can admit you need a Redeemer, you will find on the other side that Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. He gave himself as a ransom for many. He poured out the full measure of glory so that you do not have to spend the rest of your life paying off past mistakes. He freely gave himself so that you could be set free. And if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. You see, if Jesus had wanted to rule us by fear, he could have called down a legion of angels to enforce his worship at the point of a spear. And if Jesus wanted to rule us by compulsion... He could have taken away our free will and given us no real choice. But what Jesus desires most is that we should worship God freely. Not because we are afraid of hell or heaven. Romans 6 says that the wages of sin is death. And so Jesus paid it all. He gave the infinite worth of his glory to cover the infinite debt of our sin. And when we truly believe that, we discover we have more freedom than we ever imagined. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, if you board the wrong train, it's no use running along the corridor in the other direction. But when we know that Christ has set us free, we can dare to step off the train the decisions that the world would make for us. We can stop trying to collect enough experiences or possessions or good deeds to justify our lives and make them worthy, to say that we have lived life well. Christ has already valued your life more highly than his own. He has already paid it all. What could make your life worth more than that? And if we have been set free by the cross, we will discover that we are set free to take up a cross. To the rest of the world, the cross looks like punishment and sacrifice. It looks like a hardship and an obligation. But when we have been bought back even from death, then we can take the cross up freely. We can know that we have been ransomed and feel free to ransom others. Not because we have to, but because we are free to. One reason we're beginning this whole series with the ransoming work of Jesus is because 
We can witness to it for the next six weeks by offering a ransom for some very real debts that are all around us. Here in the United States, 43 million Americans owe more than $75 billion in overdue medical debt. And debt contributes, that kind of debt, and that medical debt contributes to more than 60% of all bankruptcies in the country. And to those who live under it, it feels like a chain around their ankle. It feels as though they'll never be free. Eight years ago, two former debt collection executives started a nonprofit called RIP Medical Debt. And since 2014, they've raised more than $56 million, and they use that money to buy medical debt from the same marketplaces that they did when they were debt collectors. The difference now is that instead of sending harassing letters and trying to squeeze every less drop out of the debts they now own, they instead write letters that say, you are forgiven and your debt is freed. We have canceled it. You can read more about their work in our Lenten devotions. And for the next six weeks, we're encouraging everyone at Dolphin Way to go above and beyond and make a special Lenten offering that'll go directly to RIP Medical Debt. If you're giving up something for Lent, you could do it because you feel like you owe it or as an act of obligation. Or you could do it as an act of freedom as a way of saying to the things that would exert control over our lives, that would chain us and restrict us, your power in this relationship only comes this far. And then you can set yourself free to spend that money on setting others free, not because you have to, but because you are suddenly free to. And when someone in Alabama receives a letter that says, Dolphin Way UMC has paid your debt, they'll get a glimpse of what a cross-shaped life really looks like. And compared with that, you might soon find that whatever you gave up doesn't even feel like a sacrifice anymore. In a world that will give you a million choices, but very little freedom, in a world where it can feel as though you'll never stop paying for what you've done or what others have done to us. We can be a people who know the truth. That we are set free. Free beyond our wildest imagination. And then we can spend the rest of our lives figuring out what to do with the freedom God has given us. I mentioned earlier, it's gotten trickier. Parenting children who are more free than they were as toddlers. But of course, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Their jokes are better for one thing. They ask better questions. They see possibilities I never dreamed. You remember what Jesus said? A slave is excluded from the family but a child belongs to it forever. Imagine the joy on the father's face when you discover how free you are and what your freedom is for. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.